everyone, and welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. Met, your host, welcoming you to episode number 167. This is a classic episode in which we represent a classic interview, and uh, kind of worked out well because this is also being released on my birthday weekend. My birthday was on Friday, and I am spending the weekend away from Doctor Who. I'm actually at an X-Files uh, 30th anniversary convention here at the Mall of America in Minnesota. It's kind of hard to pass that up. I've been an X-Files fan since I started watching the show back in 1993. And with the Mall of America being 15 minutes away from my house, it was kind of a no-brainer to uh, go to the convention. So, on this episode of Doctor Who Panel Panel, it's going to be kind of short and sweet. Uh, we'll start out like we always do by checking out the news, which is really, really brief. And then I'm going to represent a classic interview going way back to episode number 12. That is the first time I chatted with uh, a former editor of Doctor Who magazine by the name of John Freeman, who, after that interview, has gone on to become uh, a very big supporter of this podcast. He is a very big proponent of both Doctor Who and comics. And he's been on the show several times, but this is uh, the very first time I had a chance to chat with him. And I thought, you know, I've had several editor interviews over the past few episodes. What's one more? We're going to go ahead and throw this in. So uh, this goes way back to 2014 and my first time to chat with John Freeman. And I hope you enjoy this uh, interview. I hope you enjoy this episode as well as previous episodes of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Please do me a favor and go to iTunes and uh, like or uh, give me a favorable review. I haven't had one of those for a while, so please let them know or let people know how much you enjoy this this podcast. Also, make sure that you check out my Patreon. Uh, on Patreon, you can help back uh, this podcast and help keep the lights on, help me pay some bills whether it be the, the fees for Zoom or the fees to keep my podcast hosted and on the internet. Uh, every little bit helps. You can contribute as low as a dollar, and uh, it goes up from there. There's plenty of incentives and different things. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, just to hear the interviews, you can subscribe for $5 a month and just be able to download the episodes without all the fluff and my banter and my reviews and just go right to interviews. So... Please uh, make sure you check out Patreon. And with that little shameless plug out of the way, let's get into this episode and check out the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's take a look at the calendar to see what's coming out this month. Right now, it looks like on Thursday, September 14th, Doctor Who magazine issue number 595 should be released. It's always good to have a new uh, issue of Doctor Who magazine, and we are... Pretty much at the end of the liberation of the Daleks, so that'll be good to read. Outside of that, the only other thing I have, uh, it's kind of on the calendar and also the news for this week. <clears throat> Dan Slott has announced that uh, the his uh, special, the Once Upon a Time Lord graphic novel, the hardcover, will be coming out officially on October 24th. That is hard, firm on the calendar, so make sure you get your order in. Uh, if you order from your local comic shop, they have an exclusive Adam Hughes cover. Otherwise, there's a regular cover you can get as well, or if you order it off of Amazon. So make sure you get yourself a copy of that. Trust me, I've read it. It's awesome. Um, that's it for the new releases. Outside of that, the only other news that I have for this week or this episode is that uh, Cutaway Comics have announced that they are going to be starting a new Kickstarter here sometime this coming month. 
for the prequel to the wonderful episode uh, Third Doctor Story Inferno. The Inferno prequel is coming to Kickstarter sometime this month. A prestige issue comic based on the origins of the greatest Third Doctor tale is voted by Doctor Who magazine readers. Uh, it's going to have story written by Gary Russell and art by John Ridgway. And they will take us uh, from a dark alternative 40s to the eve of Project Inferno with the special uh, prestige, prestige issue. So make sure you go to Kickstarter and do a search for Cutaway Comics and get on uh, their list to be alerted when that starts up. I know I'll be backing that myself. And there you go. Nice, quick, easy news for this episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. Back in 2014, I had the pleasure of not really meeting, meeting virtually, but uh, getting to know John Freeman. John Freeman was the editor of Doctor Who magazine back during the wilderness years, back when Doctor Who went off the air and the, the future of Doctor Who was really, really uncertain. He was the one who kept the magazine going, uh, continued to put out new content, uh, worked alongside Virgin Publishing when their novels started coming out to provide uh, comic strips and uh, introductions to those books in Doctor Who magazine, and somebody who was a big proponent of the comic strip and making the comic strip the new adventures of Doctor Who. So back in 2014, back in episode 12, I had the pleasure of chatting with John Freeman, and here for your listening pleasure is uh, uh, representing that classic interview. Way back in 1988, I ventured, I was a uh, fresh college student and I happened to discover a comic book shop in the, the city that I was going to college in. And little did I know that there was an actual Doctor Who magazine. And the first issue that I ever picked up off the, off the rack was issue number 142, which was part two of a comic strip called Planet of the Dead. And today's guest on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, former Doctor Who magazine editor John Freeman, was the writer of that strip. Mr. Freeman, to the show. Well, thank you very much for asking me to climb on board, Jeremy. Um, how did you get involved uh, with with Marvel Comics back then? Uh, well, it's uh, a, a weird story in some ways. Uh, it's all Richard Starkings' fault, who was uh, the editor on the comic <laughs> strip at the time. Um, I was working as a designer in a fast print shop up in the northwest of England for a number of years, and I started doing a, a small comics fanzine, which ruthlessly took the the took the extracted the michael from british mm -hmm. comics um and richard starkings and his uh, fellow marvel uk companion uh, john tomlinson uh, contributed to that on the on a semi regular okay. basis we had strips that, that parodied captain britain for example and, and other marvel characters mm -hmm. um and by a, and then the uh, i i got i, I moved to london uh, because I was offered a job, which then fell through, and Richard Starkins phoned me up and said, "Come in for an come in and do some design work for us." And I started design work on Doctor Who back on issue one thirty when Steve Cook, when Sheila Craner was the okay. editor. And from there, I progressed to editor very rapidly. Um, I, I think the there wasn't a lot of confidence in Doctor Who magazine at that point. I think the feeling was that. The, the 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 sales were on the slide and it was it was going to be cancelled so there was no harm giving this this lunatic fan of doctor who the the job of editor <laughs> um and uh, fortunately i seem to have done something right because the magazine's still there for which i claim no credit whatsoever because what tom spilsbury and the guys there now are doing is fantastic mm -hmm. 
Um, so, so you've been a lifelong Doctor Who fan then? Yeah, well, pretty much. I mean, I I recall watching a couple of William Hartnell stories back in the sixties, but the one that sticks in my mind is probably uh, the first Troughton story. Oh, really? Uh, the Dalek story, which is which st- I can still remember the Dalek creature creeping under a creeping away as they when they uh-huh. saw it. So uh, I do have fond memories of that. But my Tom Baker is is probably the Doctor that that sort of like um stamped doctor who in my uh, my my imagined consciousness for the last few many many mm-hmm. years but I've, I've i've enjoyed the doctor who comic strip down the years in all its forms oh that's awesome i wish i had a, a memory as as enjoyable as that of of power of the daleks from way back then yeah it's it's very it's very sad that uh, the the episode the story's yeah. been wiped and we only have the telly snaps but uh that's, unfortunately that was the way of uh, the way of the BBC back then, I don't think they would do it now. At least mm-hmm. I hope not. <laughs> um, when you became editor of Doctor Who magazine, you had uh, somebody else being the editor of the comic strip. Did you have Did you have any say in the the stories that were told in the comic strip, or like a direction you wanted to go in? Uh, well, Richard Starkins and I would bounce ideas off, but he, for the most part, he commissioned the stories, and uh, he's an incredibly talented uh, writer and editor himself, as you know from his Elephant Elephant Man uh, book that he did uh-huh. for Image. Um, his, he used, he had a lot of, uh, uh, artists working on, on, on Doctor Who. He, he, he took the, took the decision to vary the artists from each, sto- between each story. Uh, whereas in the past, Sheila Craner, the previous editor on the strip had had one artist, John Ridgway, pretty much do drawing every single mm-hmm. strip for quite uh-huh. some time. Um, if you look at the early Doctor Who magazines that Marvel put out, Dave Gibbons had an incredibly long run and then, uh, Mick Austin, uh, stepped in, followed by followed by John Ridgway. So, but 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 Richard's feeling was that he wanted to to vary the artists, and also it was a matter. It was a sort of a, a cherry for um, the artists who were also working on Marvel UK's other books like Transformers and Real Ghostbusters to get the chance to draw Doctor Who because it was the only Marvel UK um, more teenage title. I mean. We Marvel UK never didn't have a, a 2000 AD mm-hmm. comic equivalent until uh, the launch of Overkill uh, in 1992, really. Uh, so we had, uh, you know, Richard commissioned people like Kev Hopgood, uh, Mike Collins, who's be, who's still involved with the Doctor Who comic strip uh-huh. today, uh, and many other people. Uh, and slowly, uh, he, he when he left Marvel UK, I took over as as editor on the strip as well as the magazine itself. Starting with uh, my commission of Paul Cornell, uh, somebody who a few people yeah. might know from comics <laughs> now, <laughs> and uh, bring, funny enough, bringing John Ridgway back to draw fellow travellers. Uh, not tra- sorry, not fellow travellers. Train mm-hmm. flight. I'm trying to remember the titles <laughs> off the top of my head. Well, it's been a few years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did Paul Cornell just submit a script to you, or how did that come about? Well, no. I mean, I, 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 know, I, I there's a, there's a, a regular gathering of Doctor Who fans in London at a, at a pub, and Paul Cornell was a regular there. And obviously, Paul had been writing Doctor Who fan fiction for years, and I liked mm-hmm. what he did. And uh, as soon as I had an opportunity, I was, I commissioned him to draw, to, to, to draw, to write <laughs> a Doctor Who strip, uh, and that one at that one episode story was his first story from as far as I recall. I think it was his first, I think it's his first professionally published work. 
Um, but Paul may be able to correct you on that. No, actually, I think that is his uh, first professional work. I was just checking this morning to see how that coincided with his uh, Doctor Who uh, novel that he did for Virgin, and it's it's about a year ahead of that. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, I, and I, I'm hope I assume that obviously Paul also did did some more scripts for me later on. I mean, we we worked together on the on the plot for uh, the the huge. Fan frolic that was the Emperor of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, actually a, a story that I'm going to be reviewing in an upcoming episode of Panel to Panel because uh, the uh, Charlie Kirkoff, the colorist of a lot of the IDW Doctor Who uh, comic reprints and the Doctor Who comics that they put out, is a huge fan of that story. So he and I are going to do a review oh, of that. Great. Yeah, uh, Charlie. I just uh, tra- found uh, Charlie's Deviant Art page, and he's got some wonderful coloring of some of the stuff that I actually commissioned. And uh, I came across uh, an Absalom Dark Dalek Killer uh, piece that was uh, that Steve did mm-hmm. through, uh, but was never never appeared in color in at Marvel UK. I mean, obviously, the introduction of color to the Doctor Who strip is 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 a, a pretty new or should I say regular color to the Doctor Who strip is a pretty new mm-hmm. occurrence. I mean, it only started during the Paul McGann yep. period. Um, but it certainly adds another dimension to it. Oh, definitely, to, and I know uh, that's one of Charlie's biggest regrets of IDW losing the licenses. They were just about to do a reprint of Emperor of the Daleks. Yes, yeah, I think there's a. I think they got as far as Nemesis, didn't yep. they? So I mean, it, it's it might be that that Titan will look at that. But although the obvious, obviously the it'll, and obviously the sales of their books are really strong mm-hmm. on their, their new titles. But I mean, uh, at the same time. Obviously, with Titan being based in the UK, there may be, and with Panini, obviously still on occasion reprinting their their earlier material. I don't think at this stage it's likely that they'll they'll yeah. be doing a, a, a continuing that classics line. Well, we can always hope. Yeah. One of one of the other uh, writers that you worked with on a regular basis was Andrew Cartmel, former script editor of yes. the of the Doctor Who TV show. Um, how did he get yeah. involved with the comic strip? Uh, it, well, he, it was one of those sort of like BBC parties. I, I was in there was a sort of Doctor Who production party, which John Nathan Turner, bless his soul, uh, invited me to. And, and Andrew Cartmell piped up at the, when I met, met, first met him that he would, he would like to rather like to write a comic strip. And I, I bit his hand off. I mean, funnily enough, we was discussing this with Richard Pierce Rayner this morning on oh, yeah. Facebook. And, uh, we, we were, one of the thing, the strange thing about the Doctor Who comic strip was one that it wasn't popular within Marvel UK because it was ex- an expensive part of the uh-huh. magazine. And Richard Starkins took steps to try and sa- to save money to ensure it remained part of the magazine. But on the other side, we had a situation that some of the fans of the, of the magazine didn't actually like the comic strip being in the magazine. And on, although I love the Steve Parkhouse, wonderful Vistas comic strips, uh, you know, Tides of Time uh-huh. and things like that, and stories like that, and and all the uh, the Voyager stuff that was done for the Sixth Doctor, they weren't considered by readers of the magazine in the annual surveys to be proper Doctor Who, like Doctor Who on mm-hmm. TV. So I had to take a sort of step back and say, okay, we need to try and make the take advantage of the of the unlimited budget a comic strip affords, but make the comic strip a little bit more grounded in what the t- in in the TV uh-huh. series. So we, so I obviously tried to find some money to feature the companion because I, I don't know if you know, but the doctor, the actor who plays the doctor gets an appearance fee for being in the comic strip. Well, they certainly did when mm-hmm. I was, was editor. 
And obviously, there was also an appearance fee for any compa- any TV companion sure. as well. So we had to sort of negotiate a fee with Sophie Aldred, who played Ace. And Sylvester had a standard fee for his usage, usage of him as a doctor in the, in mm-hmm. the magazine. Um, so we got Ace on board. And later on, obviously, there was the tie-up with New Adventures. But that... But, um, the, and when Andrew Cartmel, I'm diverging, but when Andrew Cartmel said he'd like to write a story, well, what better to, what a better way to convince the readers of the magazine that the Doctor Who comic strip was was great stuff was than to have people who worked on the TV sure. show writing for the uh-huh. comic. And I did have pitches from other people as well. Um, ben Aronovich also pitched uh, what became uh, the, the, the Doctor Who adventure novel uh, Transit, uh-huh. uh, which I. Uh, I, I wasn't keen on the idea, um, but he, he as a novel, it, it went out. And I think um, the visual, one of the visual effects guys, uh, Mike Tucker, he also pitched a story okay. at the time, which I don't think I'm not sure whether Gary Russell picked it up and published it or not, off the top of my head. Oh, so I mean, I think that I, I took every step to look at what the magazine was doing and try and um, make it appeal as a as a rounded entity to the to the people who were reading it. And hopefully uh, what we did was a success. It's always hard with a comic strip because everybody's got their own perception of what the doctor looks like and how an artist draws the doctor sometimes doesn't, isn't how people yeah. see him, you know, and the, and the artist has to stamp their own, has to have stamp their own vision of the doctor and their companions and the Daleks and the Cybermen on their interpretation of mm-hmm. the script. Yeah. I- you know, that's one of the things that, that to me, reading the, the strips, you there's certain artists that, to me, are able to capture the, the Doctor's likeness the way I picture him, and other ones, not quite so much. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it's, an, it's an impossible job, in a, in a way, to capture a likeness, even, even using photo reference. And if you use too much photo reference, then you tend to have it tends to become a bit static and, and Dr. Who fans will know every single photograph yeah, that, the, yeah, that the yep, artist yep, might exactly. have used. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly in the early, uh, in the earlier days, I mean, there wasn't a, a much photo reference. I mean, I, I, I mean, I know that uh, Dave Gibbons had, had some photographs taken on the set of time flight uh, of Peter mm-hmm. Davison. Uh, one of the, one of the editorial staff went up to, to shoot Peter Davison. He sat in a chair and they did round the head shots and things like that. And I, and Sylvester had a few problems with some of the likenesses, so I, I went up and, and did photo shoots with him on a couple of occasions, which were then given to to artists to use for reference for the, for the strips. And yeah, um, one of the the other writers that I noticed that you worked with quite a bit was Dan Abnett. Yes, yeah, I mean Dan Abnett was, of course, was working at Marvel UK uh, when I first came aboard at, at, at Marvel UK. And um, he's a wonderful writer. I mean, we, we worked together on uh, other Marvel UK projects too, like Death's Head. And, and, and obviously a Doctor Who fan, he, he came up with the Foreign Harris of Duty, which was always seen like as, as a future version of mm-hmm. Unit. Um, fantastic writer. And, and, and nowadays he's doing huge amounts of stuff for Games Workshop for their Warhammer books. Yeah, he's, he's just a writing machine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, he has this ongoing joke on his website about the numerous clones he has to do his work. <laughs> so uh, I, I sometimes think that that's possibly true. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it, I was just reading through kind of a listing of the different writers and artists that you worked with during your tenure as editor, and it seemed like you kind of had a rotating, like Dan Abnett and Paul Cornell and uh, Andrew Cartman were kind of like your go-to guys. Yes, yeah, but I wasn't averse to actually bringing uh, having other people on board, and obviously I was all... 
uh, because I, my feeling was that having, as with the TV series, the, the, the more writers, it keeps the keeps the whole concept sure. fresh. Uh, and, and I and I didn't um, drop uh, Richard Starking's idea of having more than having different artists on different mm-hmm. stories, and I would try, hopefully, to try and give particular scripts to the artists I felt would do the best job on those particular stories. I mean, obviously, uh, if you're going to do a Dalek story, you commission Lee Sullivan because he is, to me, the Dalek yeah. artist. Yep, so. I totally agree with that. I mean, I, yeah. Um, the the about the same time as you becoming the the editor of Doctor Who magazine and and kind of taking over the comic strip was the same time as the the TV series came to an end. Um, yes. In that in a roundabout way, it kind of put you in the place of the producer of Doctor Who. Uh, you know, since there's no TV, one of the the outlets of Doctor Who that people could go to is the comic strip. Did what was your thoughts after the TV series ended? Did did you want to can you continue the comic strip on as a continuation of the TV show and have the same sort of feel as the TV show? Or did you want to try to tell some, you know, break new ground, so to speak, or try something new uh, with a Doctor Who story? Well, well, a mix of both. I mean, we, we certainly by having Andrew on board, there was a, we had, uh, and Mark Platt also wrote uh, stories for us, although Gary Russell, I think, edited mm-hmm. those. Um there was a there was a feeling that we were we were taking up the the tor- picking up the torch and at one point the Doctor Who comic strip and and the the short stories I were also commissioned for the magazine were the only new official Doctor mm-hmm. Who material that was being published. The problem was that was that neither myself nor Gary nor anyone seemed to actually know if Doctor Who had really been cancelled. We kept on being told by the BBC that it was simply on hiatus. Ah. Um, so it was only during Gary's tenure, really, that there was the opportunity to say, well, OK, it doesn't look like Doctor Who is ever going to come back. And therefore, we'll start doing some stories featuring older doctors. I mean, I, I did a couple of older doctor stories for the yearbooks that I commissioned. Uh-huh. Uh, but gen- but it was generally Gary uh, who, who wonderfully took up the mantle to to. to run new stories with the second doctor and, and, and etc um but yes i mean we certainly wanted we were we were continuing doctor who but in comic strip form and again having andrew involved and, and grounding the stories in in something in, in something akin to what went out on tv and even scott gray's stories uh the guy who is now really, for me, the be or the, the one of the best Doctor Who comic strip writers uh-huh. ever. His his first stories were very small stories, short of character pieces. So yeah, because um, again, I, again, I was the the editor who first commissioned him to to write for the sure. Doctor you, Who. You uh, started off a lot of people on their uh, careers. Yeah, well, it seems like it. Yes, I mean, the, I mean, the talent was there, and t- and as far as I'm concerned, talent went out, and I'm I'm glad to have had the opportunity to to help them on their their many stepping stones to what they're mm-hmm. doing now but you know their their talent was there in the first place so i only play a small <laughs> part oh uh, one of one of the things that you did while you were uh editor of Doctor Who magazine one of the the uh projects that i appreciated the most was the you getting the rights to all the old doctor who comic strips the pre doctor who magazine stuff and uh, oh yes yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was again uh, just simply the the opportunity the opportunity presented itself that we could uh, we could purchase the full rights to the the older material um, uh, from London and 
what was London and Surrey newspapers as was. Um, so we we bought the rights to the original classic Who, and and but it, it, again it was Gary Russell who did the classic comic title, mm-hmm. uh, and and wonderfully too. It was the early days of the the internet back then, and I remember finding out about the the precursor to Doctor Who magazine as far as the Doctor Who comic strips went. And uh, being able to pick up Doctor Who classic comics and reading some of these old comic strips was a treat. Yes, I mean, I, the, I mean, I, rem- I mean, obviously, I, I remember reading the the the, the John Pertwee stories from Countdown and TV Action when they were first published in 1970 here in the uh-huh. UK, and they, and to me, they were just fantastic. I mean, the the, the artwork was superb, and they were just great adventure yeah. romps. Um, the, the, and and most of them, I think, were reprinted in in the classic comics. Um, but the, uh, obviously the, the John and Julian stories are a, a very, very quirky, typically British <laughs> tales uh, and, and bear no relation whatsoever to, to Doctor Who as it was, as it been appearing on television. Although um, of course, as, uh, as Paul Schoons has researched, those stories were approved by the BBC. They, there was an approval process for those early Doctor Who stories that appeared in TV oh, yes. comics. Can you tell me a little bit about the formation of the Emperor of the Daleks storyline, just and and kind of what was involved in the mass conglomeration of all these different Dalek stories, kind of combining together? Well, I, I think that I'm I'm pretty sure that's probably one of the last stories that I I was involved with in as, a, as mm-hmm. an editor. But certainly, uh, uh, but there was always an argument between Richard Starkins and myself. Uh, Richard Starkins always felt that, that Absalom Dark was a tragic character who would ultimately commit, you know, uh, commit some act that would see him killed off. Uh, and from my point of view, Absalom Dark was one of the most popular non-TV characters uh-huh. ever. <laughs> so I wanted to bring him back. And it, it seemed to me that time scooping him out of his timeline, just as he was about to be about to um, be destroyed in Nemesis of the Daleks was the best way uh-huh. of doing it. And, and, and Paul Cornell obviously enjoyed the story as well. But uh, alongside with that was all the incredibly convoluted Doctor Who TV Dalek history that, that everybody was trying to make yeah. sense of. So the, the, that's part of that, that story. But it was just a wonderful. It was a wonderful romp. It was a great opportunity to do a, a, a minor two doctors story. In that you have the uh, you've got got the sixth doctor appearing mm-hmm. in there uh-huh. as well. Um, I have to confess, I don't really remember much about the story itself, other than you know I'm not having the the issues mm-hmm. to hand. But uh, it, it, I mean, just Lee Sullivan's work on it is absolutely absolutely terrific. It was definitely it was definitely a story that was. Um, from my point of view, just uh, it was it was a, a fan romp. I mean, and, and it was thoroughly enjoyed in the same way uh, that, that Planet of the Dead, which was the two Doctor 25th anniversary story I wrote, mm-hmm. was in that you got all those appearances by companions and, and, and supposed Doctors. Uh, and, and fans love that kind of the fans of the show love that kind of stuff as long as you don't do it too often, because if you if you do that stuff all the time, then people get bored yeah. of it. You can't keep referring to continuity and indulging yourself with references to continuity. You've got to keep moving, Doctor Who moving forward and, and having new concepts and new things that the Doctor has to face as faction. Because I think if you if you indulge yourself with too much continuity gazing, then then people get get lost. Certainly, and, and it, it it makes it off putting for new people to climb sure. on board. Yeah, and to, to me, Lee Sullivan's one of the consummate Doctor Who artists. Like, you know, when I think of a Doctor Who comic strip, he's one of the artists that definitely pops into my mind first and foremost. 
yeah, it'd be great to see him doing some more Doctor Who work. Yeah, hopefully we'll have that chance. Um, yes. One of, one of the things, doing a little bit of research about your your uh, time with Doctor Who, is that uh, you were involved in the potential formation of a Doctor Who newspaper strip. Yes, um, that came about through a meeting with some people from the Express newspaper group at, at the Angoulême French big French comic festival where they expressed a, an interest in seeing, seeing a strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went back and had a think about it and, and got together with Jerry Dolan, who, who'd worked with a, a, a fantastic artist called Sid Jordan on a, on a British newspaper called Jeff Hawke, which you probably won't be familiar with, uh, but was hugely popular here in the UK okay. and, and, and in Europe, particularly uh-huh. Italy. Um, it's, it's a science fiction strip that ran on a daily basis in the Express. Uh, and we just came up with a, we, I came up with a, as a result of a, of a, of a sort of like a, an idea romp we had at a, at a, at a British Doctor Who convention in Cardiff. We came up with a, the, the Dalek, the Dalek story that uh, we ran some of in the, in, in the uh-huh. magazine because I, I wasn't going to waste all the ideas, even if the Express in the end decided not sure. to go with it. Um, funnily enough, um, Tim Quinn, who was the writer on the little Doctor Who cartoon uh-huh. strip that ran in my issues of Doctor Who, also similarly pitched a newspaper strip to the Daily oh, Mail really? uh, when when David Tennant was a Doctor and uh, the, the the Steve Parkhouse did draw some spec strips, but again nothing came uh-huh. of it. So it's hard now with adventure strips in newspapers. Most of the comic strips in in the in the US as well are cartoon strips or humor strips where they could, the stories can be slotted in and they don't have any continuity. And there are very, apart from the Phantom, I think there are very few adventure strips now that are, that are actually originated for, for either the American and certainly for the, for the European markets. Yeah, and I don't know how it is in the UK, but over here in the States, the, the comic strips kind of a dying art form is the, the, the newspaper uh, output kind of gets reduced year by year. Well, it, it's all down to costs, and unfortunately, originating comic strip costs money. Uh, here in the UK, we do um, the Sun newspaper is the biggest selling ta- daily tabloid, uh-huh. and they still uh, commission an originated football strip. And um, the Daily Mirror still publishes an adventure strip called Garth, which is a, but that, that again, that's all re- at the moment. That's all all reprint. Um, it, it, it's it's all down to costs, and unfortunately when newspapers are declining in their sales and and they've they've had terrible problems in um, here in the UK as well as in the states as the internet has taken yeah. over for people's preferred means of of reading mm-hmm. the news uh comic strips aren't are too, are too expensive to include and they they've dropped a lot of them it's very sad well we'll see what happens with that yeah i mean i, I mean that said i mean i don't think there's any any uh, there's no actual curbing of enthusiasm for comic strip as a form i mean the amount of of people who are drawing comics and publishing them on the internet um comic strip appearing in magazines i mean mm-hmm. yes there isn't as much comic strip here in in british comics as there used to be for the most part apart from 2000 ad the beano humor strip um commando um most most kids comics now only have like two or three pages of comic uh uh-huh. strip um or, unless it's reprint so uh, Titan Comics, for example, reprints Simpsons here. Uh, we reprint, and I think most of them, the strip that appears in Adventure Time is also reprint. Oh, yeah. So, but, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely no 
lack of enthusiasm for the form and and it's great that doctor who magazine and doctor who adventures and titan comics are still publishing doctor who strips yeah i i totally agree it's nice to to have several different uh forms of of comic strip output for doctor who on a regular basis yeah uh, and and they're exploring new things as well and the 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 11th doctor strip that, that titan's putting out is great fun um the david tennant's strip that nick Abadzis is writing is is a slow burn but it's developing mm-hmm. nicely uh, and uh, i'm thoroughly looking i've i've had i've seen some of the pages of the first 12 doctor strip for titan comics by dave taylor who you may know as a batman artist over there but they look absolutely yeah. i was gonna, I was gonna so, say I, i'm gonna be doing a question and answer with dave taylor coming up on panel to panel and uh I noticed that you worked with him uh, back in your Marvel UK days. Yes, I did. Yes, uh, we worked on a, a four-issue miniseries called Gene Dogs uh, specifically, but he, I also commissioned him to do a couple of Warhead strips for uh, the the weekly Overkill oh. comic, uh, and he did some and he and he took over on Warheads uh, in the US. So yeah, I mean that's some of his early work that that American fans will be mm-hmm. aware of. But of course, he's done fantastic stuff yeah. since, and he's, a, he's an amazing artist. Uh, he, we've been chatting this morning about uh, a signing I'm ho- hopefully going to be doing on the, at a, a local comic shop in, in Lancaster, England, uh, just after the first issue of, uh, the 12th Doctor comics com- comes out. Oh, so. awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So still in contact. I'm still in contact with lots of people. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah. What was it like working, uh, in Marvel UK back in the nineties, the, the heyday of the big comic boom? Well, it, it it, it was my first pro job as an editor, and it was fantastic times. It was incredibly uh, – there was an incredible bundle of energy uh, all the time. I mean, Doctor Who was, was my first uh, professional editing job. Uh-huh. It, was, it, was a, it was great to be doing it. The, the people who were working on it, not just on the comic side but on the editorial side because I, I had a lot of different writers working on the magazine too. Um, there was there was lots of ideas batting forward and some things that happened, some that didn't. For example, um, Dan Abner and I tried to get a new Absalom Dark miniseries done with Steve Moore writing it, um, which would have would have been more about Absalom Dark rather than Absalom Dark and Daleks uh-huh. per se. Uh, it, it didn't happen, but those stories are now appearing in a in a Doctor Who comic fanzine called Warp Warp, which you may have heard of. Oh, about. most definitely. Um, very limited searches. Very, probably very hard to get hold of in the States, but great stuff. Um, we had lots of ideas for, for Doctor Who. We, we at one point, we Andrew Cartman and I even came up with an idea for a Doctor Who and Doctor Strange crossover. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the, the, at that point, Doctor Who as a TV series wasn't as big in the States any, any more. And the feeling was that it would have helped Dr. Who more than it would have helped Dr. Uh-huh. Strange. And, and Tom DeFalco, uh, shut the idea down, even though he was a, a Dr. Who fan himself. And I can see his commercial reasons. They were very sound. Um, but that aside, I mean, Marvel UK was a, we were first over in Bayswater and there was a, that was a crazy place to work. And then Arundel house in the center of London, which was also great fun. We were, on different floors at one time and so it was it was a it was a hotbed of ideas and great fun and tremendous a tremendous time for me um, and I, I don't think that apart from my time at titan comics when i was working on babylon 5 magazine and star trek magazine but certainly babylon 5 um that wasn't quite captured even then but uh, but that said the titan guys are fantastic to work with so still still contact awesome. so 
Yeah, uh, you mentioned Vort, Vort magazine. I'm a huge fan of that magazine, and uh, I can't wait for the next issue to come out. Yep, they're 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 in short. They're they're very very slow to come out, but once they're there, they're absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's just a, a wealth of information. I mentioned it on on my podcast that they're definitely magazines worth checking out. And uh, the last issue that had a kind of a special feature on Absalom Dak was a real treat. Yes, yeah. As I said, favorite character. I still got the T-shirt, which I <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lurking somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in in your tenure as editor on Doctor Who magazine, what would you say is your proudest moment or proudest achievement? I think the proudest moment is probably keeping the magazine going. To be honest <laughs> with you, I mean, there was it was seriously there were there was were, were times that that there there was a perception that it didn't have long to run. So, I mean, it'd be impossible to identify specific strips or particular uh, aspects of the magazine because it was it. it you know, you just do it at the time and you just hope for the best that people are going to like it. You have to work to what you believe is going to be the, the best thing for the magazine. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes things don't quite work. And some, uh, But for the most part, I, I think they did. I mean, the fact that you want to talk to me 20 years on is, is uh, at least 20 years on, yeah. I think, is, is tremendous. I, I feel very honored that people still uh, – uh, remember the the period with fondness. Oh, I most definitely do. Like I said, you know, the the first Doctor Who magazine I ever picked up was was back in uh, your your tenure on Doctor Who magazine, and those were the strips that kept me going. You know, after the TV series was off the air, and we were in the the so called wilderness years, and and Doctor Who magazine, the the comic strip there, along with the uh, Virgin Publishing novels, were were my source of new Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've the Doctor Who fiction has always kept 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 the, the show go, kept the show going even when it's off air. So you still got there's always Doctor Who to be found. Yep, most definitely. So, uh, what's keeping you busy nowadays? Uh, well, these days I'm funny enough I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm working mainly. My day job is for a company called Rock Comics, and we produce digital audio comics. Uh, we've have several we've had several titles out, not a huge uh-huh. number. Um, a, a teen adventure strip called uh, Team Mobile. Uh, we published a, a Houdini comic, and uh, the, probably the one that most people want to track down is is a is a, a collection, a digital uh, audio version of uh, Arthur Ranson and uh, Angus Allen's uh, Beatles story. Oh. Uh, it, it's available on iTunes for iPad and iPhone. Oh, definitely something I might have um, to track so that's, down. That's my. Yeah, it's uh, obviously Arthur Ranson I work with on Fellow Travellers, but he, I mean, he's done a, a, a massive amount of comic strip work down the years for for, for various things, and he ha- happened to own the rights to this Beatles strip that appeared in the British Weekly Comic Looking. Uh, so we've we've done, put it out as a digital audio comic. Hmm. So track it down, yeah, yeah. But I'm still writing. I, I'm, I'm writing some various different comic strips. Um, uh, I've got a couple of independent things in the works, and uh, and also doing. I've been doing some stuff for a, a European publisher, uh, which has been a bit stop start. But uh, uh, there's a few things bubbling under. Some of them involving long time science fiction comic heroes from the UK. So we'll just have to see whether they actually pan out. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, anyway. Yes, definitely. Definitely wish you the best. Always move forward. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank yeah, you well, time. thank you for uh, being on the show, and thank you for for your your input into Doctor Who magazine back in the day and uh, keeping things going for us. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed going back with me to 2014 and episode 12 of uh, Panel to Panel with my interview with John Freeman. I think I've grown quite a bit as an interviewer and a podcaster since then, so I hope you uh, continue to listen to this podcast. So this may have been your first episode, and hear the difference from uh, then to now. See how much almost a, you know 10 years has made as far as making this podcast bigger and better. So I hope you enjoyed hearing from John Freeman. I'm sure I'll be talking to John again at some point in the near future. And uh, thanks, John, if you're listening to this episode. To uh, Thank you for being such a big supporter of my podcast. I truly appreciate it, my friend. And I truly appreciate all of you out there listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to this way, this uh, kind of classic episode, this throwback episode. Uh, next episode, it's going to be something really, really special. I'm working on things uh, even as I'm recording this outro and uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy this next episode that's coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. And until next time, this is Jeremy Bement saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>